Ross Greenwood, and these are the Money Minutes. Today, the government stretches the band-aid even further across the economy and continues to allow companies to trade even if they're broke. But is it really the best medicine to avoid a deeper recession? Thanks for your company here on the Money Minutes for another episode. This week, the government extended its emergency relief for the economy and it amended but continued its JobKeeper and JobSeeker programs. It also extended until December 31 the rules that allow companies to stave off bankruptcy even if they're technically insolvent. Now, shortly, I'll speak with John Winter, Chief Executive of the Australian Restructuring, Insolvency and Turnaround Association. Now, he argues that the longer the government allows bankrupt companies to keep operating, the longer and deeper Australia's economic recession will be. But first, let's go to the Prime Minister and Treasurer's press conference this week, where they spelled out the new terms for JobKeeper and JobSeeker. Now, remember right now, there's around 900,000 businesses or 3.5 million workers on the JobKeeper scheme. Effectively, they're being subsidised during the first wave of this recession. Indeed, look at the recent national accounts figures, and you'll see household savings soared. Family incomes rose in the past quarter. Because of JobKeeper's $1,500 a fortnight, because people could access up to a maximum $20,000 from their superannuation funds. So here's Josh Frydenberg forecasting how the latest changes to JobSeeker and JobKeeper will play out from here until next March. For the December quarter, 1.4 million recipients, of which about 175,000 would be on the $750 payment, and for the March quarter, about 1 million recipients, of which around 125,000 would be on the $650 payment. Now the Prime Minister jumped in here also to say that this is not a handout and should not be seen as such. Here's Scott Morrison's ideal about how the government support should work. Job seeker and job keeper are payments that support people's income, but also do not and are not designed to prevent them from going out and seeking work and to, to improve their circumstances. I mean, I was in my own electorate yesterday, and in my electorate, um, we have more Qantas employees than any other electorate in the country. They've obviously been devastated uh, by the impacts on the aviation sector. Uh, I've got pilots who are working stop-go signs, uh, working at distribution centres. They're also uh, continue to be connected to their employer. And they'll fly again one day, but in the meantime, uh, they're not seeing JobKeeper as as do-nothing money. They're seeing it as a a very helpful income support that keeps them connected to their business, but at the same time uh, doesn't prevent them from going and doing other work that's out there. And so you've got to get the combination of these incentives right, and that's what we've attempted to do here. The problem is that many jobs right now are with so-called zombie companies. In other words, businesses that should be dead, but which are still technically alive. And there's potentially hundreds of thousands of those living dead companies. Their workers are almost to a person on JobKeeper. But the problem is that as soon as they're forced back to work and the companies are forced to start operating as solvent businesses again, they'll collapse. The question is, should they collapse now or collapse later on? Now, one other issue. The Business Council of Australia and the Australian Institute of Company Directors, I understand, are both pushing government to come up with some new form of insolvency in Australia. Many suggest something like the Chapter 11 companies that operate in the US and more recently with problems in the UK. What this would mean is that a bankrupt company would be protected from its creditors for a period and management would be given time to try and trade out of the mess. 
For many of these other companies, the zombie companies, it's way beyond that. Way too late. And no matter which way you look at it, this is really all about trying to keep a lot of balls in the air at the same time. Also remember, as I've continued to try and tell you, the real recession is unlikely to start until after the government begins to withdraw its life support. Because even governments have their financial limits. It now is simply a matter of what will happen when the money runs low. Bring into this conversation uh, the chief executive of the Australian Restructuring Insolvency and Turnaround Association. That's John Winter. Now, John and I, for a long time, have had an exchange of ideas and dialogue about what's going to happen in Australia if you simply try and keep a band aid over all of those businesses that really technically should be sent broke, but they're not. And indeed, also, if you're asking others, banks, and maybe even landlords from holding off on taking action on many of those small and medium-sized businesses, even big businesses, to be honest. And if really there is no action taken and we've got bad businesses inside our economy really only surviving courtesy of government decree, it really could end up being a significant problem down the track. John Winter joins me now. Many thanks for your time, John. Great to be with you again, Ross. Look, you, you and I have been talking about this for months, and we'd always noted that at the end of September, and it's only a few weeks away, that really these uh, temporary insolvency and bankruptcy protections were due to come off. Well, now that's been extended, as I've said, to December 31. Uh, but really, I don't think it's the end of the problem by a long stretch. What do you think? No, it's definitely not the end of the problem. Uh, There has to be a day of reckoning that comes with this, Ross. The reality is, as you and I have spoken about before, we're already close to 2,000 businesses behind the normal level of insolvency that would have, even without COVID. Now, that, of course, doesn't factor in those that necessarily are going to have to close their doors because of COVID. You know, we're 7% down on our GDP through one quarter. Now, that means that 7% of the economy has evaporated in that time. And there's there's just not enough demand out there for many of those businesses to continue to survive with. Sure, some of that's going to come back. But we have to be honest with ourselves. We need to have an orderly process to allow those businesses to close down. Instead, we're just building more and more up behind an ever-shrinking damn wall. Okay, so on an annual basis, my understanding is there's around about, what is it, 5,000 or so businesses go broke in Australia. I also note that Deloitte, early in the piece, had indicated it believed there was around 230,000 businesses uh, that would go uh, bankrupt or insolvent during this period. And indeed, even the Australian Bureau of Statistics' own figures almost confirmed that number with around the same number of businesses, 210,000 I think it was, saying they were only surviving courtesy of their bank or their landlord or the government giving them some sort of relief. So 
that's the that's the dynamics. But what you're saying is right now, this year, there are fewer businesses have gone broke. Is that because of the government's own legislation? It totally is. And and so it is a combination of JobKeeper, the direct stimulus payments, the forbearance that people are getting on uh, on their primary bank loans, uh, and also the rental uh, provisions that are in place, both for commercial and for, for people in residential uh, leases. So all of those things are propping up the economy unnaturally. And of course, Josh Frydenberg's listening to this going, that's what I wanted to do. There is no doubt. There comes a point, though, where that prop up is carrying organisations far further than what they should have been carried. We know that there are lots of businesses, in fact, a couple of thousand businesses that would have closed, but are now doing better because of JobKeeper and stimulus. Now, they're not actually giving anything better back to the economy. They're still going to close. They're still racking up debts. And for me, that is the greatest concern the debts that are being racked up because they have to either be paid or somebody is going to wear a lot of pain when they don't get paid. But isn't there another fundamental problem here? And that is if companies are artificially being kept alive, the zombie companies, as they're sometimes called, then really ultimately somebody else has to carry the can. It's either the bank, the lender, the creditor, the small business that has owed money, the employee, although they get back, they get actually looked after by the federal government. There's a scheme there for that, but somebody else has to ultimately also incur pain as a result of zombie companies being allowed to survive. And that's the thing: the government indirectly is picking winners in this, and unfortunately, the winners that they're picking right now are the businesses that are in trouble, and unwittingly they're creating losers amongst the companies that are otherwise healthy. And those companies, those are the ones that, that, that are healthy now, they're the ones that will help rebuild the economy far more than the ones that are already in trouble. And so you get this really weird effect where the, the bad are being rewarded and the good are being punished. And you know, Ross, insolvency processes, let's draw the analogy around the, the very challenge that we're facing at the moment in society. It's around a virus. In, insolvency processes are a bit like a quarantine that stop sick companies spreading their virus of bad debts to other companies. And so if we're able to say, let's use the processes we've got to stop other companies being dragged into that, then that's a healthy approach. What we're doing now is just not healthy. The other aspect of this, as as it comes to my mind, is the government normally, in in any given year, would collect about half of its tax revenue from PAYE taxpayers, which is where you kind of understand that the government is trying to protect the tax base it receives from those PAYE taxpayers. However, it also collects a significant amount of money from companies. But of course, it it doesn't collect anything from companies that go broke. But at the end of the day, there is no payback by allowing the zombie companies to survive. No, and that's exactly it. I mean, this is why we need to deal with the zombie companies. They are they are of no value to anybody. It is a, it is a mirage if we think they're contributing to the economy. Uh, and, and indeed, most of the staff that those people are still uh, employing are just being paid JobKeeper right now anyway. They're not coming back to another job. They will move onto, onto the dole queue, unfortunately, the moment that that relief mechanism comes away from them. Uh, and so there's a high level of artificiality in it. And it's not... It's not like spending on infrastructure. It's not creating jobs in the real sense. It is just building up the debt pile. 
And one thing I do remember from the 1990s recession is really even though there is enormous pain and unemployment um, and therefore stress in the community and the government clearly is not collecting the revenue it otherwise would, the resetting of values uh, as a result of a recession, which means that some assets are, are sold at discount prices, but others pick them up and then turn them around, invest in them, and that's where the growth comes from from the future. What I'm worried about is also if you don't get that revaluation of poor assets right now or insolvent assets right now, you don't get the turnaround, you don't get the growth, you don't get the the job creation long term that you might otherwise have if you had a reality about what is right now a serious recession. Yeah, and I think that's a really important process. We have to, while we have to deal with the human impacts of, of a recession, of any downturn, that goes without saying. We also need to look at at the effects that it can generate in the economy. And we've struggled for a long time with productivity uh, in Australia. One of the things that a downturn does is sharpen up everybody's focus on ensuring that all the capital we've got is doing the very best job. That means that people get to be gainfully employed in the long term. And if we're able to smooth that process rather than create this tsunami that we're heading towards, we will be able to have a more progressive wind down in these things and, and start to bring people in the discussion of getting people out of businesses that really can't continue. Uh, and, you know, a few people have said that tsunami analogy. We are in this weird point where the tide has completely gone out before that big wave breaks. There's this weird, quiet period happening now. If we were able to actually deal with some of that water flow now, we could actually smooth out the impact. So why do you get the sense that the government is not listening to someone like you, John, when it comes to the talk about the tsunami that's coming, the talk about the fact that you really do need to take some tough decisions in the economy? Uh, What is this? Because otherwise it looks like the government is ultimately trying to prop everybody up and even the government's resources at some stage could well be stretched. Yeah, look, I think there's a bit of an unhealthy focus on, uh, on this desire to keep businesses out of insolvency. And we get why nobody wants to be in that position themselves. But in a, in a macro economy sense, you have to have that process occur. Uh, I, I think there's an unhealthy focus on saying we want to keep that number down because it would be bad politically for us if the number came up. But the reality, the absolute reality, is we all know, every voter out there knows, that we need to have that go that process occur in a downturn. Uh, and we'll do our best to make sure it's smooth and to make sure the human impact is limited as possible. But we've all got to be a bit grown up about it. We've got to say it is going to happen. How do we do it best? There is also irony in the fact that because there are fewer insolvencies right now because of this particular uh, government policy, that many insolvency firms themselves have had their business decline to the extent which to which they've had to put their staff on JobKeeper. That's the thing that really blows me apart. In a recession, you have insolvency firms with their staff on government assistance. It seems crazy. Yeah, and it is an extraordinary phenomenon. 55% of insolvency firms are currently accepting JobKeeper. And, and now that's not insolvency firms crying poor mouth. I've said that to you before. That is simply a strange indicator of, of the period that we're in because – People keep saying, oh, insolvency, it must be booming at the moment. No, it's not. And the fact that it hasn't even had a gentle increase 
shows that we are getting something wrong in the policy settings. John Winter is the Chief Executive of the Australian Restructuring, Insolvency and Turnaround Association, Australia's leading organisation for those people involved in the insolvency and turnaround professions. And John, as always, great having a chat to you. I really appreciate your time. Wonderful to catch up. Thank you, Ross. So that's it for this episode of The Money Minutes. Thanks for your company. But look, as I finish, just another heads up about not getting too excited about a potential coronavirus vaccine. Remember the recent episode that we did where the boss of the pharmaceuticals giant Merck criticised politicians who claim a vaccine could be developed by Christmas? Well, I do understand preparedness, but organising the production of vaccines in their testing phase is a really risky thing for our government to do, especially if they falsely get the community's hopes up. And so it was, for today at least, with the much-vaunted vaccine being developed by Oxford University and AstraZeneca, of which 84 million doses, at a cost of $1.7 billion, was going to be manufactured and paid for right here in Australia. The fine print was, of course, if it passed all its trials. Well, today that trial was suspended. One patient became ill. It's yet to be learned if the vaccine caused that illness or not. Your feedback is always welcome via social media or our publisher, Talent Corp. In the meantime, I'm Ross Greenwood, and these are the Money Minutes. The money